Welcome to a new episode of your favorite African podcast, Parole with Alexandra Nyamoyavoyi. I've been told that I say my name with full speed, and for my non-Burundian people, sorry if I go slower, I feel like I will be talking about someone else. But in this episode, I'll try not to butcher my guest's name, George Ngede. He's Kenyan and has been living in South Africa for quite some time. I'm glad to have him on this episode because I was researching the work of tech communities in Africa and which communities were or are being impacted. For those who have not yet listened to my conversation with Frank Nijibere on the previous episode, episode 29, he shared about the work of the GDG community in Bujumbura, Burundi. George is linked to the Google Developers Group in Cape Town, South Africa. Here, he shared about the importance of the community, how to build and sustain it. I was impressed by his research work on how computer literacy could help support the deaf community. Unfortunately, my Swahili is not yet on point, but working on it. That's how I convinced myself, although I listened to some old Kenyan songs, I'm just saying. I hope this conversation will help you see that getting involved in communities with a purpose, you reap great rewards and it's not always in financial terms. You can check follow George on social media and like a proper tech guy he's on Twitter and as a real professional he's on LinkedIn. Now that I consider myself a tech woman I will leave you my Twitter as well at A-N-Y-B-O-Y-I and on Instagram at Alex N. Power Podcast at Power Podcast. If you have an interest in tech follow African Tech Roundup. I recently joined a team and this podcast will be your next favorite podcast. All details are linked. If I get a thousand followers, I might get a promotion. Who knows? Listen, share, review, and leave a comment or DM. Enjoy. Another podcast with Parole, with Alex. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the tech, which is quite unusual. But hey, let's just start something here. I have George. I'm not going to say his last name because I may butcher it. But we'll let him introduce himself, talk about his background, you know, his studies and basically why he's here, because he has an interesting uh, resume, I'll say. There you go, George. Thank you for having me. My name is George Nede. I am Kenyan, residing in South Africa. I predominantly are a mobile engineer, but also now doubling in front-end web development. My journey started pretty much in tech in Kenya when, in actually in high school. In high school, I had a choice between doing French and computer studies. So the first year in high school, I was told, okay, you can do both. And the second year, I just chose to do computer studies. And from then on, it's just down the rabbit hole and continue towards this journey of tech. After high school, came to South Africa, where I did one year of matric, which is kind of like the last year of high school in South African equivalent, because we call it grade 12. Uh, that's where I did matric to be able to join the University of Cape Town. From then on, studied uh, an undergrad information technology specializing in business computing, which is a bit of computer science and information systems, and then carried on to honors in computer science and subsequently my master's in computer science at the University of Cape Town. From then on, I started my career in not mobile development, but actually consulting, where I worked for projects in Zanzibar, it was called Zanzibar, I forgot the Zanzap, where it was focusing on 
supporting non OM. Was it non? Sorry, forget the terminology. It was more of like non organization of NGOs and CBOs there. And we worked with as a partnership between the EU Commission and the Zanzibar government. Uh, we did that for a month and then came back to South Africa where I started continuing my career in mobile engineering at OLX, where we supported the sub Saharan region and then from then moved to a telecoms company where I worked for a year building a mobile kind of kind of like WhatsApp meets Zoom meets oh. Skype for the business based on their technology stack and now I'm working in a games company, publishing called Carifast, which is now all about publishing mobile games. And our focus is predominantly Sub-Saharan Africa. That's where I'm at now. What is Carifast? Because you talk about the, the mobile gaming industry. And to be honest, I don't play that much on, the, on my phone, but I did when I was younger. But then my question will be more like, do we have enough bandwidth? in Africa to use, you know, to play or? Good question. Yes, we do. We, so let me just start with Carifast. So I joined Carifast in 2019 and Carifast originally started as a gaming company. We published our own game, which is called Carifast Trivia. That is a live trivia game that is hosted by us and you play against other people live at the same time and you answer questions with, go in different categories and you rank scores and get leaderboard points and stuff. So yeah. our biggest market was Nigeria when you open Kenya and South Africa. Then sometime during 20, end of 2019, during 2020, we decided to pivot and realize that there are great, greater and many game companies out there but are looking for markets based on what we learned from publishing our own games that we could leverage a way of getting them access to this market by providing them with payment provider. So we pivoted to become kind of like a FinTech, but also still in the games industry. And we offered to other game studios saying, okay, hey, this is a market that is untapped and you'd want to try and get people here. And also we've proven that from our games that we have people who actually are willing to pay for in-game purchases and for things and like, why don't we leverage this and give them an opportunity to publish the games here as well as we offer them a payment solution. And that's how well we are now at Carifast, where we're now publishing a couple of games from larger game studios. Recently, we published a SpongeBob game, which is called SpongeBob Krusty Cook-Off, and a couple of others, Mine Rescue. So game studios come from all over the world, and which is which is great. So that's also in my day job. In my day job, I end up playing a lot of games. <laughs> so much for us you can do on a daily basis. That's <laughs> that's great. Yeah. All right. So you talk about the mobile. I would like for you to give us um, like an overview of the mobile industry in Africa. Obviously, so you just say you're Kenyan. When I hear mobile money, basically, I think Mpesa you know, thriving and doing so well. Mm -hmm. uh, just to give you an overview of what's happening in France, actually, I think it was last year with the COVID stuff happening. It was when we, we, we were the first time we were able to, to buy a ticket uh, using our phones. And I realized like, oh, 
actually it's been happening in a different yeah <laughs> your faces at all like it's been happening in the different countries like maybe for 10 years so i feel like there's something happening in africa due to the infrastructures that were either lacking or would just say or in the future that we have to learn something about what's happening you work in south africa you know the nigerian market what is happening there I can give you a perspective between the Kenyan market and the South African market because those are what areas I'm more familiar with. Um, let me start with the Kenyan market. M-Pesa is kind of like a product found opportunity meets, um, it's like opportunity meets the environment. What happened is that we had a lot of, there were banks, we had the big banks and the big banks mostly concerned about like let's focus on banking maybe the middle class but then we had a larger population of people who were very much unbankable the genius about it was that everyone had a cell phone you can use a cell phone to bank and it's a far-fetched crazy idea in places where you have a highly regulated banking society here was like our banking market was very liberal so when mpesa just blew up it just provided opportunity for people who are unbanked to have like a sort of a bank account, which is linked to their mobile phone. And it's simple, it works on USSD, and now you can have it smartphone now. And you see now it allowed people to now not use a lot of cash in hand and just transfer electronically. What was unique then when it came to South Africa, what was unique was that, because Safaricom was also part owned by Vodafone UK, and Vodafone UK also owned Vodacom in South Africa. So they tried to push in Mpesa through partnering with a bank called NetBank. I think that was about 2008 or 2009. That's when I had seen some similar product of Mpesa in South Africa. It did pick up. One thing that was that South Africa is a very rigid banking as a very structured banking market. And the big banks already dominate much of the market. So they would take they would try and offer their own version of like mobile money, which is now grown. And Mpesa didn't have didn't have a chance to grow as big as it. So equivalent of seeing in South Africa is like we'd see a standard bank, it will have uh, instant money. Your first national bank will have the equivalent of e-wallet, but it's also still kind of linked to a, a bank account. But there's one of these. In Nigeria, I'm not too sure if it picked up in the market, but I'm not too sure about that. On the side of mobile, one thing that has greatly uh, helped leapfrog uh, Africa to the tech space is availability of mobile, uh, cheap and accessible to cheap mobile phones. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got Chinese handsets, which have been here. We've got the Huawei, we've got Honor, we've got Techno. So a variety of it. What also has helped that in the last few years, the undersea internet cables have been increased mm -hmm. around landing points in Africa. That has increased the bandwidth on the continent tremendously. So data costs will still be high in different countries. In other countries, it has significantly dropped. Also, speeds have increased to rival your top nations, um, your big five countries in the world. 
there was an article I read some time ago that the bandwidth in Kenya had was faster than the bandwidth in Australia, which is a very laughing matter. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, okay. So you guys are yeah. uh, invested in. Okay, <laughs> that's a yeah. good one. All right. That that was a benefit was of, of government policy pushing for internet penetration and accessibility um, on the continent. Okay, so how about people who are learning um, computer science these days? Where do you focus? Because there's so many, let's just say, languages when you're in high school, especially. So many languages, uh, so many opportunities now, because I think before you could say, okay, to work for IBM or to work for for Microsoft. Where do you start? That's a really good question. If you're in an educational space, school is actually a very good place to start. Um, they do offer it. And they're also smaller kind of like companies that start offering like certification courses to start learning different things. In Kenya, it started like what certification courses with different organizations, some universities offering that, just understanding that. And now because of the internet penetration, it's you can as long as you have access to a computer, and mm-hmm. um, that's access through cyber cafes or friends or family who have computers, different facilities. Uh, if you could have access to that and, and with internet, you can actually self-start learning via YouTube, via vlogs. Because um, most computer science material is generally getting much more open sourced. Okay. So you have more availability to that. Before it used to be like, okay, you need to go get a degree, study this. But with the progression of internet access and more people uh, putting content out there, developers, mm-hmm. other people who are just interested in technology, you do find a lot more content is available. And you just can't, if you have, you have the tools or if you have access to the tools, which might be a challenge for not everyone, but there's that. Then you can have starting that. Also, another thing that we've had startups over trying to get involved in trying to build a tech, uh, tech startups. For example, the IHAB is an environment where fosters technology growth and also incubates a lot of startups that is in Kenya. So you have places that you can actually learn from other people. From then on, you have special interest groups, so people who align themselves based on the technology they're interested in. If you want to learn a particular language, if you want to learn a particular technology, and just start meeting up and conversing in different platforms. How about Google? What is Google doing? And because, I mean, most of us know that uh, the major tech companies now are, are available, are working, mm-hmm. or actually, now we have Twitter coming to Ghana. What do you think about that before I go? It was about time. I know it was going to come in, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good start. Um, we have... The big companies have been showing interests a lot in in Africa. Mm. I don't know much about North Africa, but particularly Sub-Saharan Africa, we have a large population of people, uh, users who use the products. So for their way of, like, for example, um, Google, Google's way of trying to get into the new markets so or you know, setting up, I don't know, like business development offices and and setting up uh, what we call, in the technical world, we call 
content delivery networks. This is just a bunch of servers that allows you to access content easily. So if you, for example, if you hit uh, google.co.ke, it loads quite fast because you're probably acting, accessing a local cache okay. of that Google website, which so allows you to access content. Also, Google has also tried to foster a lot of relations with developers here and providing them the tools, tools, the reading material and stuff to build things on the platform or understand what their products actually serve. They're very active and also promoting uh, developer relations, which has been very, very active on that front. When you say they provide tools, what kind of tools are they? Most of the tools kind of like services that allow developers to build different things. So Google has always been a company that was pushes for mobile friendly, meaning because access of most people access the internet through mobile phones. A way of that is to provide developers with uh, services that can help them speed up development processes or access things that can help their developers to build things uh, for their communities. For example, uh, you have analytic tools such as Firebase, which is a whole suite of uh, services that allows them to mobile applications and also plug in with authentication, analytics, events, all those things. And it just gives out for free. And if you scale up bigger, then that's when payment comes in. But most of these tools are actually free. And how about the, the Google developers Cape Town? What do you guys do there? With Google Developer Capitals or the whole GDG, we call it GDG, Google Developers, it's it's endorsed by Google, but also it's a community-run organization, all volunteer-based. What we do is we host events, workshops, which kind of promote a lot of Google technology stuff and see, learn from each other and find out your community people, people who are doing things using Google technology. This is also Google with their local offices and regional offices trying to promote developer relations. Say, okay, yeah, we have this tool. Do you want to try it out in your community or someone's tried it out and see what it can do? And they also report back to Google, say, okay, yeah, this is what the community is saying. This is what they like, this is what they don't like. It gives them an idea of like understanding what more, what do developers need in the, in the space that they're actually working how I joined GDG at some point in my career, I was working as a solo developer and I needed a community because there's no one else around who was doing development. And once I joined the meetup, it could be, uh, talk to other developers saying, okay, this is what I'm doing. And we actually relate and understand that the problems that I had were also some of the problems they were facing. It was good, like as a good, very good sounding board. Nice. With GDG, it's all community run. We've got backing from Google. The other, uh, it allows people to just talk about much of things that they're building using yeah. Google technology. And how do you build a community? Because it is, of course, you do have the same interests. You do speak the same thing. But how do you build the small and then incrementally grow? Like touch a city? Because I, I've seen that there are like GDG in different cities in Africa. Are you guys connected? I don't know if I say Lagos, if I say Cairo, Mombasa. Yeah. I'm not too sure how the beginning of this because I joined in the middle. Mm-hmm. But Google also, how they understand, uh, understanding of this is that through their local offices, they promote 
interaction between the different chapters. So you would have someone or a car with someone say, okay, I joined GDG Cape Town, but you would find that maybe in another city would have a large enough group of people who might be attending our events, but also they have a good number of them to also start hosting their own events. So they're from them, Google's perspective that they can be able to host an event and host, be their own community also. So it now asks the people who want to be as among the people who like who want to be a volunteer and lead this chapter, and they provide you with the resources. So like, okay, here is a platform that you can link up with other GDGs. Here are other organizers and co-organizers for different chapters you can talk to. With that, they also have pre-COVID. They also had GDG summit. Oh, okay. Uh, that now brings all community leaders from different Google developer groups. And they met in San Francisco like for one, a whole day, I think it's a whole day. And that was, that summit always it was before the big Google conference, Google IO. Oh, okay. With that, it's more, how to build a community starts with one or two people with the same interest and start doing it or communicating about different things about the, what the interest is like. My interest was as Android development and we talk about different aspects of it and we find people who are different and work in different offices yeah. who might be interested in this. Like, okay, I also do this. Like, hey, you might want to try and join this community and find out more. And they start hosting events and get speakers. Also with um, Google, because even they have also Google developer experts. So those are people who like, know much about the different technology spaces. So it'd be Android development or some will be Firebase, others others be machine learning and all those. And then they are the kind of like go-to people like, okay, they get new new technology from Google and ask it, this is what is interesting. And then come talk to different people in the communities, which is also very good directly to the Google. I've seen that you've done some research, some work, some research paper on the deaf community. And, you know, the symbol, I was, to be honest, I was shocked to see that, not that it works, but I was like, Mm. how do you use this? I just said I was clueless, (laughs) that would be the right word. Can you explain what what are you guys doing? What are you doing? on? That was a project I did in my master's graduate studies, my master's. The project was part of a whole wholesome project called Science Support. So the original project, Science Support, focused on deaf people and trying to dispense drugs at a pharmacy. Because at that point, we learned there's a, there was a language barrier on top of that. And also, pharmacists and deaf people couldn't, couldn't understand how to relate to each other and also give clear and concise uh, instructions. So that's how the project went about. So my... Input into that project was now focusing on an educational aspect of it. What it did was we tried to understand how best to support the deaf community in learning computer literacy skills. So what we came in, and I came into the project, we had we had partnered with a NGO community called the Deaf Community of Cape Town. At that time, they were teaching 
the staff members who are predominantly deaf, uh, some of them had a hearing on. But in this umbrella, I'll just call deaf with a capital D because that's a whole culture yeah. on its own. That's a whole conversation. When I sat there in their classes, also tried to assist because uh, on the technical aspect, realized that they had a lot of, there's a lot of knowledge that was forgotten that we generally take it for granted. Um, I'll give, for example, a button click on a mouse. We have the right and the left. Someone who's not come, who's not understood computers and everything, their first introduction towards anything computing was a smartphone. Okay. So when you start introducing our computer, now this is a whole new area of expertise you've learned. Basically, we had to bring down the basics back to like, okay, this is a mouse, this is what. And also their background is that they, they, in South Africa, we've got about 12, no, 11 different national languages. And the people do come from different backgrounds because you could find someone, okay, I'm deaf, but my family background is Afrikaans. I'm deaf, and my family background is Zulu. And they would use sign language as home and everything, but the fallback language would be the other language, either Zulu, Afrikaans, or English. So there's no kind of like, I would say communal understanding of like, and also in computer, anything computers comes in English. And if you're coming back from that, the background of Zulu, you might not understand. So the goal was to understand, to help them learn these skills in their predominant, their first language, which was South African Sign Language, and also to allow them to be able to, to get better jobs, um, okay. to be able to use computers to do uh, normal tasks like writing a word document, write your CV, send an email. So that was the main goal. What we found that is that at the time, the classes, um, the teacher who was teaching them in sign language had to had to do it uh, for all of the learners, and each learner has a different learning pace. So we'd have people, learners who would understand the, the subject matter much quicker than others. So if they understand, they would do something, and then they'll stop because there's no other instruction. And also the instructions is also an English book. So that was a disconnect. We had to understand, like, okay, how can we bridge this gap for them to learn, but also let them learn at their own pace? And for the teacher themselves, how do we relieve the burden of them being the medium of delivering instruction? And then they can have the time to focus on slower students. So wow. that's when the project came about to design kind of like a mobile application. And also the mobile phone was the really most readily available tool for them because it's something that's commercially available and they can watch videos and learn things on their own. So an interaction of all these aspects, how do you come to a solution that they also feel that they have ownership in it because they're also part of the design process. Wow, okay. And how did it evolve since you started it? What happened was we were using the curriculum as an IP for the com- a specific company based in Cape Town. When we finished that, when I finished my aspect project, we presented it to them. I was like, okay, this is what we came up with and hopefully the technology, the in-house tech team took further that. 
but it was a very lovely project. Um, I enjoyed it tremendously and mm. learned a lot. Yeah, I mean, it could even be useful in Kenya because over there you have yeah. many languages as well. It's, uh, yeah. All right. So my last question will be, uh, I guess, for someone who, who likes uh, wearable tech, what do you see the future of wearable tech knowing that Google last year, I guess, if I remember well, but Fitbit, how do you see people using drones um, back in Africa, in South Africa? I'd say wearable tech, it's, I'll call it yin and yang. Yes, it has, it's, it's a blessing and sometimes a curse. The blessing is that you get to learn a lot more about different things that we just take, would do ordinarily. In the aspect of medicine, it's very beneficial, correct vitals in terms of like um, sports. We've seen wearable tech for athletes. For example, geography or ge geographical information systems where you can start mapping out things by just probably pacing around the point and it tracks. The downside of it is uh, how secure is the, the, the information that is kept. It's something... I'm always hesitant about, mainly because of data breaches that have been happening around. And drones, there's a lot of opportunity there. With drones, there's a lot of things that we have leapfrogged. Systems that could have been there in film, we've seen a benefit of it in film. So it allows a lot of indie uh, filmmakers to do some crazy or very interesting creative shots that they've never done. In terms of farm uh, agriculture, can be used for mapping farm, uh, tracking different, looking at your farm, holistic view. Don't have to do much instead of like driving through the whole farm to see if you can just take a picture of a drone. And it can also, the drone can carry sensors to map out different terrains of different property. So drones, yes, there's a lot. Also, there's a lot of heavy regulation around it. And it also could be misuse of it. But if the regulation meets up the opportunity that it can open new markets, new avenues for young people to generate content, generate uh, revenue, make an income, I'm all up for that. What, what type of uh, regulations are there? Do you need like a special permit? For now, the requiring a drone pilot license. So we'd have gone to a flight to go to die to understand also uh, you just can't fly a drone anywhere. Fortunately, some, some of the drones have a lot of those restrictions that you can't fly in certain airspaces uh, with their maps, which is good. Otherwise, we'd have different bad outcomes, which we hope not. I would hope that legislation sees a positivity in having drones rather than just outright banning. What can we wish for you then in terms of professional outlook in the next five years? Professionally, I'm still going to still be in a mobile space, uh, pretty much tech space, because I do see there's still a lot to cover on the African continent, different outcomes. Might not be full-time software development, but some are still in tech. Might be data, might be blockchain, mm. who knows? There you go, blockchain. That's yeah. uh, that's the future of a lot of things, it looks like. <laughs> All <This> right. Is... <laughs> uh, um, I have to ask you then, blockchain, how is it working for you guys? If I would ask that, 
I do have a friend that did research on blockchain mm -hmm. and applying it to humanitarian a humanitarian aspect of how to dis to distribute humanitarian aid using blockchain and also to kind of like to give it an easier way to track where it's been going and how the authenticity also blockchain medical records oh yes <laughs> yeah so, well there's so many yeah amen so if imagine i'm 18 years old I'm going to computer science and I go, mm. come to you and I'm like, George, where? Mobile, data, satellite. Uh, do I go to Tesla? <laughs> do I stay? <laughs> you know, do I go to Twitter? Which, like, what is my first language and what is my first internship? First language, I would say Kotlin or Flutter because ah. Kotlin is if you want to do full-time mobile development and back-end web development. Flutter is your cross-platform mobile toolkit. You can build iOS and Android applications and also web. Then next, I would say do something with data because if you look at it, we have a lot of farming. Okay, let me just pick agriculture as an example. Mm -hmm. We have farmers who have wealth of knowledge in their heads, they can look at it and say, this is what's going to happen and this is what the crops are going to react. But that has not been put into data. Or if it's, it is, there's still a lot more to be done there. Mm. Okay. Hopefully, Google and Amazon are not buying every mall so we can keep <laughs> <laughs> like some, some data out of the, those hands. But yeah, thanks very much for your time. It's um, It really speaks volume about what, you know, those tech, tech companies, I take the bad and the good, mm. but we still use yeah. them. I've mm. been using Zoom for the last year. Uh, I have Google Meet. I have Google stuff, you know, mm. Google Street, not Google Street, like Google, Google Maps, sorry. Mm -hmm. So that helps. And yeah, and then at the same time, helping community of people involved like you. So thanks very much. And uh, who, who knows, maybe we'll see each other in South Africa and see what's happening in the tech industry there. Thanks for having me. It's been lovely chatting to you and giving my two cents on what's going on here. All right, then. Can you say something in Kiswahili like goodbye? I was going to say au revoir in French, but Kwahelini. <laughs> uh, that I know. That's it. Yeah. That... <laughs> <laughs>